Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Greetings, comrades. I'm Sam Fredrickson. And I'm Jason Moitoso. And together we are the Not Alone Podcast. Once a week, we dive into strange occurrences, mysterious events, and supernatural happenings. So join us as we take a look at everything from curses to UFOs. And remember, whether sleeping safe and warm in your own bed at night, or in the harsh, cold winter of the Gulag, We are not alone. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the Eastern Border. Uh, This is a start of a brand new series, and I want to do a bit of a bit of a philosophical thing today. A bit of uh, Stalin's past, of course, and his childhood, but. uh, but mostly I just want to start these series a bit slow as they're going to be long and difficult. Because, <laughs> yeah, this also will include all of the Eastern Front and World War II as we move through all this situation. And I don't expect that these will end anytime soon. It's important to discuss what Stalin was and what this, what did he mean and what is his legacy. Stalin is is not a simple man. And the series is called Man of Steel. The Western world uses this term to describe Superman, the all-American classic superhero. He's a dude that can literally do anything, he saves the world, and is a patriot of his country. But if you think about it, if you think about it hard, hard enough, then you understand that Stalin is quite worthy of his title. He's worthy to be called Man of Steel. Well, of course, you have to replace American values with Soviet ones and remember that he's a villain. But in terms of scope and what he achieved, Stalin could very well be Soup's most dangerous adversary. In a way, like I said, he also could and and did everything. And, and no, I have actually read the, the Red Sun comics where uh, Superman, Superman kind of grows up and lives in the Soviet Union... But those cities are just silly. For one, they begin with uh, Superman crash landing as as a baby inside of a private-owned farm in the Soviet Union. Hilarious, hilarious already, and it gets gets worse from here. So I I want nothing to do with any Red Sun analogies here on these series. But uh, there's another comparison that's that's valid here as we're looking at this idea that Stalin is a man of steel, in a way. You see, Superman is not Clark Kent. he's, He's something bigger. He basically becomes an idea. An embodiment of an idea, to be exact. And Stalin? Well, Stalin wasn't just Yosef Vissarionovich Djugashvili. He was Stalin, and uh, I would say not even that. He was larger than that. Stalin's adopted son, Artyom Sergeyev, reported that once the great leader was yelling at his own real son, Vasily, for using his father's name. And while Stalin is yelling at him, Vasily had replied, But, but dad, I'm, I'm also Stalin. 
And Stalin had yelled back, No, no, you're not Stalin, and I'm not Stalin. Stalin is the Soviet state, the Soviet, the Soviet state, the Soviet might. Stalin is like he's represented in the media and in the portraits. And that's not you. And that's not even me. Stalin had basically made himself, created himself. One of the difficulties with Stalin in the modern day was that he literally changed what was real. He's often known for deleting his earlier allies from existence. He erased them from photographs and documents, prohibited their names to ever be spoken with threats, and it was like they had never existed. But you have to remember that he had also done similar things with his own past. Muddying the waters, changing his birth date, nationality, education, everything really. And this was important because, as you should know by now, from the moment that Soviets grabbed power, being from the wrong class, coming from the wrong family, having the wrong ties, like, counter-revolutionary connections... Hey, you might have been... Your parents might have been those guys who stole Lenin his cow or something. See, if you were of the wrong people, then, you know, that would lead to a bunch of terrible, quick, painful, possibly deadly things happening to you. So, as we will speak about this in the future and in this series, I want you to know that to even come close to some sort of an objective view about Stalin, his own past, his own history, and who he really was, and to understand him. Uh, to do that, you need to dig through a ton of material, and you have to seep through multiple authors. And, and in the case of the books that I use, they're insulting each other for not being accurate. They're sometimes even accusing each other of political speculation, and it, it's getting crazy at some point. And uh, I will explain why it is so later as well. And Stalin had to change all these things. Because it was very profitable for him. As he was coming to power, he needed to make himself look as proletariat as possible. Then again, I personally believe that he truly did come from the ranks of the people. But again, there are people out there who yell at me for this. But I will, however, mention the other views as well. Stalin used to boast about his surname, stating that it denoted his proletariat roots. We have uh, memories of a wife of a Finnish communist leader, and this wife had went on a picnic with Stalin once, and she wrote about this. Quote, As he became more relaxed, he slapped his boot with the palm of his hand. I never saw him wear anything on his feet but riding boots. And then he cried, Ha! I'm the only real proletariat here, for my name ends with Shvili. All the other Georgian comrades, with names in Idze or Adze, huh, they're either aristocrats or bourgeoisie. And so saying, he named three of his best friends, Yenukidze, Lominadze, and Orjoni Kinidze, who all had high positions in the government by this point. A few years later, however, the first two were liquidated by their good friend Stalin, and Orjokonidze had committed suicide. So, you know, Stalin manipulates and erases reality as he wants to. And I'm trying to make some sense of this. See, Stalin was so ambitious and so powerful and he <laughs> he was a fan of this reality-shifting thing that after his death, for a while, Soviet people thought that he was insane. But the cause of this shift actually was just another editing of the, of the past. Modification of reality on, on about the same scale as what Stalin had done himself. And this was for the benefit of Khrushchev and Zhukov and other people who are around him. In the end, Stalin's place in the world and views about him also, also shifted multiple times. And um, he was obviously a bot of uh, many jokes about all the situation. For example, uh, for example, there's there's this one where, where in the 19th Congress of the Soviets, Stalin is is sitting and and you know Stalin is standing and reading a report to all the members of the of the party of the Central Committee who have gathered here in the meeting, and and then someone kind of sneezes in the hall. Well, Stalin just just stops reading his his report, looks at looks at the hall and says. 
Hey, hey, who sneezed? And there's there's like total silence in, in all all this hall. Then Stalin uh, Stalin thinks for a bit and says, "Okay, first throw. You stand up to the wall, shoot them, KGB." And there there are massive applauses in in the Congress hall. And everyone's like, "Yeah, that is correct, Comrade Stalin. Great job cleaning the party ranks. Awesome." So these guys get shot. They get their bodies get taken away. And Stalin again asks, "Okay, guys. Well, who sneezed?" Again, utter silence. So Stalin thinks a bit and says, well, second row, you two. Shoot all of them. Massive applause, even bigger applause than the previous time. Everyone's like, yes, glorious. The applauses are like turned into standing ovations. Everyone's super happy. So after the second row gets shot, Stalin asks for the third time. Okay, comrades, well, who sneezed? Again, there's a total silence, but you can you can feel how the air is just just becoming thicker and thicker in in the Congress Hall. So Stalin says, "Okay, well, I'm I'm getting really really tired of this. Third row, you two execute them all." By this point, the applause just don't stop for 15 minutes. Suddenly, there are even like Stalin's Stalin's portraits start appearing in the hall. People in the back rows are waving flags. Everyone's screaming with joy. Yes, yes, death to bourgeoisie pigs, death to traitors of the Communist Party. Everyone's basically ecstatic. Well, when that finally dies down, Stalin says, "Okay, I'm gonna ask for the last time. Uh, who sneezed? I'm. This is the last time. I'm getting tired of the situation." And and kind of a, a tiny tiny kind of uh, hand of, of from the from kind of the back rows lifts up and and the very very worried voice says, "Well, it it it, it was it was me, Comrade Stalin." So Stalin calmly get, calmly takes back his report and says, "Well, God bless. Now we can carry on." <laughs> yeah, such such jokes about Stalin just uh, essentially being a death cultist. He kind of worshipped death penalties a lot. These were quite common. <laughs> Another one which you'll get to get to closer when when it comes when it comes to World War Two was was uh, <clears throat> Soviet text Soviet history textbook from the twenty from the twenty first century that is from the future. <clears throat> Adolf Hitler, minor villain in the era of Stalin. So there there, there was this attitude too. There was this attitude that people were afraid of Stalin and they respected him but a lot of them really thought that he was a complete monster as well but like I said as Stalin died and as the Soviet Union kind of shifted to less Im- less intent as the Soviet Union shifted to less shot on spot to more like more oppressive nature but of a different kind this attitude changed this this change of mood, this attitude change is observable because thankfully we're back again in the era where I can actually go and talk with people, which is what I do best. And uh, a lot of you have complained that I, I've lacked people stories lately. Well, yeah, that's because, you know, you really can't have an interview with someone who remembers Lenin these days. But you can have interviews with people who actually were were there when well, while Stalin was still in power. And you see, I got reports that at least when one of them was in school, like in about sixties, from sixty, from like uh, starting with like year nineteen sixty three, this changed. And um, at least at schools, and that time uh, in the Soviet schools, they didn't speak about Stalin completely. Even in the history schools, uh, and this comes from Latvia, obviously, when they. In the history lessons, when they told about the Latvian SSR history, Stalin wasn't mentioned at all in the 60s. They just skipped over him, and they're like, yeah, well, he was the leader, but there was that was it. In the 70s, the situation shifted once again. At the beginning, Stalin was mentioned as the hero of the USSR, who, even though completely botched it and maimed it, still tried to continue Lenin's work on making the USSR stronger. The personality cult had had received some mentions back then, but altogether there was this impression that was created that during that time in the USSR, uh, not not Stalin was running the whole country, but the Central Committee 
of the of the USSR of the Communist Party. And that's also kind of represented from the anecdotes of that time. If the previous two were anecdotes from from Stalin's era, from his rule, which was extremely dangerous back then, then in the 60s, the, the jokes tend to become a bit less about mass murdering and brutalities and and kind of more in, the, more in the economical sense. For example, <clears throat> Armenian radio gets asked, well, why did Lenin only wear shoes while Stalin always wore boots? Armenian radio answers. Well, obviously, in Lenin's day, our country was only ankle-deep in shit. So, yeah, it's more of an economic issue. And in further years, like late 70s, the personality cult wasn't even mentioned. Uh, the attitude shifted once again, because uh, this is this is the point where in the late 70s, uh, late late seventies, where kind of ex-Stalin's allies come to power again, and they they didn't mention the personality cult. They only spoke about some mythical, mythical breaches of the socialist lawfulness, which basically had happened during Stalin's era, but apparently responsible of these breaches of socialist law, uh, the responsible for these things uh, were Yago de Yezhov and Beria, uh, important people whom we will mention in this series, obviously. And in the very latter years, very latter years, just just before just before uh, Gorbachev took power, like, even that isn't mentioned in the Soviet history books. However, however, uh, Stalin's political fights with Trotsky are mentioned a lot, in a positive aspect, because by now Trotsky had morphed from a hero who built the socialist, the, the Soviet Union and the Socialist Republic to somewhat of a Menshevik traitor, essentially. And yeah, this is also a large part due to anti-Semitism, which was extremely rampant during during the Stalin's, uh, Stalin's era in the Soviet Union. And obviously, obviously, uh, Stalin and the Second World War go hand in hand, and Soviet history books always, always praised Stalin and his huge role in winning the Second World War. Or, you know, the Great War for the Fatherland, as it's called here. Uh, although, although, uh, Zhukov, the General Zhukov, was praised actually much more than Stalin of all of this situation. But the total total composition of the era and total mood of the 60s and 70s and even early 80s uh, can be compressed in, in the idea that, yes, yes, well, maybe something bad was being done, but you know Stalin won the war, so you can't say anything bad about him. It's kind of weird. And I got reports from the locals that uh, at least people here firmly believed and still believe that Stalin had been worshipped in Georgia throughout the whole USSR, and a lot of people think that it's still being it's, that it's still there today. And uh, people people have said that you know uh, if you don't visit his memorial house uh, memorial house in Gori uh, in Georgia, then you know your your Georgian host might become angry at you. And, you know, you might get into trouble for, for not saying good things about Stalin while in Georgia. However, however, we have a recount of a British diplomat who was visiting Georgia during Stalin's purges, when Georgia suffered at least as much as, as everyone else, literally. And, you know, he, he wrote the following. <clears throat> he wrote the following, quote, The Georgian is chivalrous, wine-drinking. 14 to 15 bottles of light wine per man at one night sitting is not uncommon. He's pleasure-loving, lazy, hospitable, and quick-tempered. He loves dancing and music. Perhaps the most striking of all his characteristics, considering the times, is his almost aggressive independence. None of these characteristics seem to have changed much under Soviet power. Least of all, the love of independence. This often manifests itself in sheer indiscipline. In Georgia, the name of Stalin does not seem to evoke the awe and homage, much less love, which is so nauseatingly played up in Russia. It is true that in the few places he was mentioned, one could detect a note of restrained pride and affected nonchalance about the fact that Stalin was born in these parts. So again, we have, we have conflicting reports here. 
And yeah, one one comes from from people who actually lived in the the USSR, and the other one comes from a British diplomat who accounts of this period. But that again, as as we have always stated on this show, the truth is rarely simple, rarely ever simple. And but yeah, again and again we come to this point about Stalin and Russia. It's it's something of this czar czarist attitude. You see, this this has been going through a lot of series since even we started talking about Nicholas II. Because, you know, if something terrible is happening in Russia, and you live, and your life is not easy, and everything is terrible, then obviously Tsar is good, and he wants good and kindness for all, and only his, his evil surroundings kind of hide the truth from him. And, you know, all the bureaucracy and psychophants are just, just lying to the brave Tsar, and Tsar is divine and awesome, and it, it is the bad people who surround him. Again, this, this was, we, we went into a lot of this in our 1905 episode. But yeah, this is, even, even if, if, if in Russia he was praised a lot, and in Georgia, you know, we can, we can look at some mixed feelings here, then obviously in the Baltic states and in Ukraine, and in most satellite countries, oh boy, over here he's he's like really really treated as as who he was, a murderer and a bloodhound. Then again, there are some radicals over here, even even to this day, who find some something positive in how Stalin operated. Basically, there are people in historical sources which state that you know it was pretty okay this whole purge thing. That, you know, when Stalin purged a bunch of fanatical communists in 1937, then, you know, that was a good thing, because these communists were worse than Stalin, and and apparently these communists who were worse than Stalin were completely Trotskyist and were believing in the world revolution and utter victory of communism, and they 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 were ready to just go to war over this completely. But again, nothing is ever so simple. This is kind of the theme of this episode so far. Uh, currently, at this point, at this point, Stalin in Russia has again taken up uh, an uneasy role. It symbolizes something different again. For example, Putin goes and places flowers on Stalin's grave because you know he was taken out of the mausoleum, then he was put into a grave. Putin places flowers on Stalin's grave every year, and you know the people from the government are there. Because for some reason, for some reason, Stalin kind of represents the might of Russia in person. And I apologize that uh, I'm not enthusiastic in this episode. This is a re-recording. We lost our first first record of this because uh, for some reason my webcam decided to record the whole conversation. I had guests back then. This is now a, a material which is contained and held. We, we might use it sometime in the future. In the parts where, where they speak, not me. And secondly, yeah, this is Stalin that I'm talking about, and um, I need to kind of com- compose myself when when doing this series because because rereading all these all these books is um, it's kind of crazy, and, and then when you notice that you know the, the big neighbor, the big neighbor, uh, you're right next door to you, they're they're starting to glorify Stalin again, and there are monuments put up to him and the people he worked with in Saint Petersburg, and there are some people who really venerate. The great murderer of my people. Yeah, it's it's really not easy to talk about these guys, but but that's that's the attitude over here. On on another note, which will be important for the whole series and for the, this this whole research of Stalin and Stalinism throughout throughout the, his part of the Soviet history, is the fact that I need to compare. I need to compare a lot here because again, the resources are not trustable for the most part. And I have acquired some Western historian books on Stalin for these series, for this purpose. And one of the most interesting ones is Stalin, Shaping of the Soviet Union, by Alex de Jong, a British historian. This book was published in 1986. And seeing the Western perspective on looking at the Soviet history in a time frame when the USSR still existed, that allows for some really fresh insights on how people viewed the Soviets back at the day. And I've always been interested in this, uh, and we've, we've talked about this on the show, and I hope to use this one. 
some of the stuff that's written in this book so far is not quite accurate, as, as other sources directly contradict it. But I sense that the, the Zhang knows the culture. Oh, and here I have to quote the book. <clears throat> quote, One joke tells of a Georgian who has to have an artificial tooth. In turn, the dentist offers him teeth of steel, silver, gold, and even platinum. He rejects them all, observing that he is not a poor or mean man, and is anxious for all to see that he can afford an expensive tooth. So, one thing leads to another, and it transpires that he wants one from important denim. Georgians are the traders, wheel dealers, and racketeers of the Soviet Union. Although in this respect, they are no match for the citizens of Odessa. <laughs> that made me giggle a bit. Uh, that's an introductionary part and kind of shows that, yeah, this, this guy knows his stuff. And I'm specifically mentioning this book here as... Uh, this is my really only quality source of Eng in English about this whole subject. The rest of, of this these series will be from ex-Soviet authors from various republics. The local flavors, so to speak. And yeah, as they come from both Russia and the Baltics and Ukraine and some are from Poland and I have some Finnish guys out here... This is where the differences really start to, to kind of the differences really start to show themselves because of the vari of, of the varied attitude and of the various political statuses of these countries and, and what's going on everywhere. Basically, there's a there is a conflict between Russian scholars of Stalin and and uh, everyone else basically. So I'm delving into some pretty pretty heavy local politics still. Because Stalin was so great that uh, he's he's still shaping our political views, even today. I'm also, of course, uh, planning to grab some interviews. As, as, like I said, we are back to the era when that becomes possible, which is awesome. So I'll be comparing a lot of this material from, from my region with the Western view in these series. So, if you can recommend me some other Western book on this issue that I should obtain for further comparisons, yeah, please, please let us. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Snow. Hi. This is Alice. We would like to start with thanking our newest patrons, Sean, Joseph, John, Christina, and Ariel. If you'd like to become a patron, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the eastern border. Our patrons receive all sorts of goodies, including a monthly book reading. We would also like to mention this month's Dark Myths podcast, A New Winter. A New Winter is an audio drama podcast set in a small British town in the winter of 2000. When a series of murders and disappearances start to occur, one man takes it upon himself to try and solve this horrific mystery by delving into the unknown. This is his story. Subscribe now and enter this mysterious town. Who knows, you may never leave. Lastly, we are still accepting questions for our special episode. So, any questions you would have about the Soviet Union, post-Soviet countries, or anything at all, you can send those questions to us to our email, theeasternborder at gmail.com, or to our Facebook or Twitter. And now, back to the show. Boop. 
So now that I have bored you to tears with uh, philosophical <laughs> philosophical thoughts about Stalin and his personality and what did it mean to be Stalin, let's let's have a look at at least some parts of his biography that we know of. See, Stalin was born in the 6th of December 1878. Uh, actually, it was 18th of December 1878 because of the calendar shift in the Soviet Union. He was born in this old Georgian town of Gori, and in the Krasnogorsk street number 10, in the family of a cobbler and a farmer. Apparently, it was a very, very poor family, and uh, he, Stalin, by then only Yosef, was the third son. Even though uh, the, the previous two, his two siblings, his older siblings, died during childhood. So, you know, only Yosef, or Soso, as he was called back then, was left. And yeah, that, 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 ho that house where Stalin was born is, until today, kind of one of the, one of, one of the most popular, popular museums in Georgia. This is the neat, tidy version that you could probably get out of some, I don't know, BBC site or something. But even this is problematic. Let's start with the date when he was born. See, the official date everywhere else that is not in the West is the 21st of December 1879, uh, slightly more than a year later. Why? Because Stalin told everyone that this was when he was born. And it is still completely unknown why Stalin picked this date, but he always insisted that he was born in this 21st of December 1879. And this is the date which is mostly used by the Soviet era scientists and all these in all the post-Soviet places. Because really, nobody knows why did this happen, but apparently... Apparently, Stalin really did have his reasons for this. And then we come to the question of his family, because like I mentioned in, in, in before the break, yeah, it's, it's nowhere near simple that all this situation is going on. There are theories, like, for example, mentioned by Khrushchev himself after Stalin's death, and uh, Khrushchev wrote later in his era of rule the following, quote, I don't know what's written in the biography of Stalin, but when he began his career, I, I happened to hear some discussions about the fact that his father wasn't just a common cobbler, but he had owned a workshop where under him worked at least 10 people, and for those times that was counted as a huge business. If, uh, during the period of revolution, such a fact would be opened and discovered in the biography of any person, he would, be, he would be questioned so hard that his bones would get broken and he would probably die. Later on, in my day, if we find out, if we find out that uh, a person hasn't come from a working environment, you know, he's, he's still looked at with suspicion. And this is kind of, uh, kind of crazy. And... Uh, uh, there, there are sites which uh, and sources which openly state that this is a falsification because they also add that apparently after after this this mention in one of his speeches, Khrushchev also has added mm, this was the compromat with whom Beria also Beria later would hold Stalin uh, Stalin on a tight tight noose. <laughs> and and this is this is just the first thing of all the situation. Now, we don't know. I personally believe that really Stalin's dad was just a common cobbler. But yeah, like I said, there are people who think that he actually, that he was actually not of the poorest sort of a family. Also, there are huge doubts about the, the fact that was, was Stalin even Georgian. There are historians, such as Oskar Mandelstan, uh, who basically state that he was actually an Ossetine, a different ca ca Caucasian nation, because of the, the surname changes and, and stuff like that. Very much minor details, I will not take these, these things seriously, because he was born in Georgia, and I doubt that uh, there, there will be many differences in our story, even if he was an Ossetine, which I, again, doubt. One of the more interesting conspiracy theories about Stalin is about who was his real dad. Basically, even though the official data, this, this cobbler, whose nickname was, was Beso, 
there are many, many other theories. There's a theory that states that Stalin was actually the son of his legitimate godfather, uh, who was essentially a industrialist capitalist. There was also the idea that he was the son of the famous nature explorer of the time, Przewalski, uh, the, the Polish guy, I presume, uh, who, who did a lot for horse breeding as well. Also, uh, also some people mention the wine trader Yakov Ignatoshvili. Other theories are that he was a son of some random clerk under the Tsar, that he was a son of, son of some knyaz, that he was the son of a Jewish trader. And finally, there are rumors on the Russian internet today that Stalin was actually <clears throat> illegitimate son of the Emperor Alexander III. This is just kind of crazy. And in one sense, you know, I might laugh at all this situation, but I can understand why modern-day Russia would want to put, put Stalin in a bit more sort of prevalent status than he was, because, you know, uh, right now, currently, the Zhirinovsky's party in Russia, the so-called liberal Democrats, which they are anything but, have decided and put on a bill in Gosduma that the Russian anthem should be changed once again. Well, the current Russian anthem is what was introduced by Putin, and it, is, and it is essentially the Soviet anthem, except, you know, the lyrics are a bit changed. Well, now, these liberal democrats, so-called liberal democrats, uh, who are basically Zhirinovsky's party, and that's the guy who wants to nuke America all the time, these guys have now presented this new idea that Russia should return to its previous imperial Imperial Anthem, God Bless the Tsar. Now, I have no idea why would a federated republic need to, need to talk about blessing a Tsar, which they, which they personally killed in an earlier revolution, and the Russian, Russian nobility has basically died out, and what, why would even Putin would be called a Tsar, if, of course, Russia operates as they say they do, but yeah, dragging through something with Tsar's blood could probably be beneficial to someone. But again, this is just a theory and I'm just speculating about why would anyone do some, some crazy thing like this. When Yosef is five in the 1884, or maybe six, but okay, I'm just gonna deal with the fact that I will use the 21st December 1879, which was used by Stalin and which most Soviet sources use as Stalin's birthday. So, um, I'm sorry for any confusion that, that might be caused by this. At any rate, when Yosef was five, he caught pox, which basically scarred his face for life. Next year, when he was, when he was six, Stalin was uh, suffered in an accident. A carriage, a, horse, a horse-drawn carriage, kind of almost smashed him. Broke multiple bones on his left arm... And that is why in all the pictures that you see of Stalin, his left arm is always slightly smaller, slightly out of sight, because it wasn't functioning efficiently. There was this, uh, I don't know, uh, there was this so-called term sukharucha, basically sort of a bit dried up hand, non-functional left hand. That is why in every picture that you will see of Stalin, his left hand is somehow out of sight, or just disguised a bit. And this happened after this, this accident with a carriage. Besides these family troubles, father of Stalin, or father of Soso by this point, it's kind of funny how Stalin changes names throughout his life, uh, father of Soso, Vissarion, loved drinking. He loved drinking a lot. And, you know, he used to beat up his wife and kid often. Stalin, uh, Stalin in his mem- memoirs, stated that in one of these occasions, and this happened when uh, Stalin was about seven to eight, in one of these occasions, basically, uh, Stalin got really, really, really angry and threw a knife at his dad, almost killing him. After this, after this uh, crazy occasion, Stalin managed uh, to, to, due to working hard, he actually managed to get into school, which was a kind of 
church-run school, a preparation for the seminary he went he went to study later on. So it's essentially, you know, it's high school where you study the usual stuff, plus they prepare you for the seminary work which comes after. So if you finish it completely, which is like 12 years, then you can become an Orthodox priest. He managed to get in that in 1889. The problem is, he should have gotten into the school in 1886. But he didn't, he wasn't accepted in the school. Because at that time, Stalin couldn't speak any Russian whatsoever. And he kept his Georgian accent to the end of his days, really. He always spoke with this thick Georgian accent. So to think about it, Stalin is not accepted in school because he doesn't know Russian. Uh, some some fellow priests from the area, a, a friend of his mother's, uh, an Orthodox priest, Christopher Charkviani, taught him Russian uh, for two years. Until, finally, he can get into school, after nearly killing his dad. And as this school is a church-run school, this means that by this point, Stalin will no longer live with his family. He'll get a stipend from the government to study in this school to live abroad, and, and he studied in the other side of the town. Later on, uh, in, on the later days, he would move on to Tbilisi itself. So, Stalin <laughs> leaves home after almost killing his dad, and, you know, starts starts studying. And this is where we have some, some fun facts going on here. One of the more interesting parts is that we actually, actually have uh, his grading after he finished his first year. And, you know, in, his, in, in this church school, which then later turns into seminary, his grades were pretty good for someone coming from a very poor family and basically living, living in constant abuse. Uh, basically, he apparently got a five uh, for, for uh, he got a five for <clears throat> excellent attitude towards work and studies. That is essentially he back then, at least in the first grade, did what did what the people expected him to do. He got also a five in the sacred history of the Old Testament, and also got a five in the sacred history of the New Testament. Oh yeah, and the grades go like this. Uh, they're, they're graded from one to five, with five being the best. That, that also stayed, the, through, stayed true throughout the Soviet era. He also got, had a five in the Orthodox Catechism. He also got a five in the, uh, in, in the Church Practices and the Proper Order of Mass. In the languages, he got a five in Russian, in the speciality of the church, church Slavic Russian. He got a four in Greek. He got a five in Georgian. He got a four in arithmetics. He got five in geography, five in calligraphy. And he got five in both church singing in Russian and church singing in Georgian. Uh, however, I, I doubt that he ever spoke Greek throughout his life, which was kind of interesting. By this point, we all, we already get some interesting, interesting memories about, uh, about Stalin. One of the main sources here is a certain Yosef Yermanshvili. He was a friend and a classmate of the young Stalin. And he became his classmate a bit later on when he was already in the seminary. That is, you know, after, after the early years of school when Stalin was young. And he actually finished the seminary, unlike Stalin, but he was lucky enough not to get shot. Uh, so he was just exiled from the Soviet Union in 1922, well, after, after he was released from prison, where he was put in in 1918. In 1932, uh, there was a book of his memories about Stalin that came out in Berlin. It was called Stalin and the Tragedy of Georgia. There, Iremashvili... Uh, basically writes about Stalin, and he says, quote, Stalin was very vengeful, he was cunning and sly, and he always, always remembered every last tiny misdeed that you did to him. Stalin was, <clears throat> Stalin was apparently very cruel and heartless, just like his father. Stalin was convinced in the fact that he was the kind of man whom others should obey. He wanted, he wanted, uh, he wanted to be like his father. And he developed a strong uh, hatred towards everyone who were higher than him in status. 
during this during his formative years in the early years even back then the goal of stalin's life was vengeance and for this and to this he made everything else a secondary his characteristic of stalin iremashvili uh, finishes with the, with with the following weird statement which is hard to grasp but it makes sense a lot in the context especially knowing that this book came in 19 came out in 1932 when actually the scariest parts were just <laughs> they hadn't even happened yet uh, iremashvili right uh, finishes his description like thusly quote triumph of stalin was to win battles, achieve victory, and to cause fear in other people. Another interesting thing which uh, had a huge influence on Stalin at these time at this time, according to Iremashvili, was uh, that Soso, at this moment Soso, really loved the the novels about the Georgian nationalist Kazbegi. Uh Kazbegi's nickname in these nationalist books by the way is <clears throat> Father Killer. And he really, really wanted to be like the main hero, Abrek Koba. Koba, according to Iremashvili, <clears throat> Koba became like a god to Soso, the meaning of his life. He wanted to become the second Koba, a fighter and a hero, uh, just as famous and terrifying as that one. Hey, hey, guess what nickname Stalin will take later on? And, and... <laughs> Uh, but at the same time, Stalin was also a weirdly enough a romantic. He found his romantic side when he was in in the seminary when he was working, and he wrote some poem some poems actually. And I would like to read one of you to them. It's not a very long one, but uh, yeah, it kind of put things in a in a weird limbo of stuff once again. This one's called Morning. <clears throat> the bud has blossomed. Now the rose. Touches the tender violet. The lily, bent above the grass by gentle breezes, slumbers not. The lark, singing its chirping hymn, soars high above the clouds. Meanwhile, the nightingale intones with sweet, mellifious sounds. Break forth in bloom, Iberian land. Let joy within you reign, while you must study, little friend, and please your motherland. This apparently was written in 1895. How's that for Stalin? Yeah, and it's it's kind of hard to imagine this. And he wrote a lot of these, a lot of these things, and apparently they had inspired uh, inspired some people to actually follow his ideology and and, and do crazy stuff for him. Uh, you you would never expect that Stalin had a much away with words, but the 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 reports from Stalin's time basically revealed that there wasn't just one Stalin. He had essentially multiple personalities. He was he was in, in a certain way at home, a certain way in public. But the Stalin that we remember him as a political leader, he was always very stern, taciturn. He never threatened anyone. He was very calm and peaceful. Oh, and by the way, and this will come in, uh, come in later, I really don't believe that Stalin was foolish in any way or form, or that he was somehow somehow paranoid but we'll get to this in a later episode <clears throat> at any rate during this time while he's in the seminary stalin also also learns of marxism he 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 discovers marxist writings and literally starts just reading them while in his religious seminary and that really shocked some people because uh, at one point a documentary that i watched reports that essentially the school principal of, of the seminary by this point, uh, really just, just came to Stalin, uh, and, and just, you know, walked through the courtyard, and then there, then there was Stalin. And Stalin's by this point just reading, reading Marxism writings and openly atheistic ones. And then, and then the, the, the school principal just comes to him and asks, well, what, what, what are you doing here? Because by this point, Marxist writings are known all over, all over the place. But, you know, it's still kind of impolite. It's a religious seminary. They're giving him home and a place to live and everything like that. And, and the principal knew that some students were reading this, these materials. But, you know, they, they would, they would just hide it and they would be afraid. Not so with Stalin. Stalin just calmly looks at his principal and says, there is no God. Please go away. You mean nothing to me. And just continues on reading. 
Yeah. He also tended to start skipping classes a lot. His grades got much worse as he just didn't pay any attention to his studies whatsoever. But yeah, it should come to no surprise that he was later just thrown out of this establishment. At one point, during Stalin's studies, his father also had visited him to a point, because his father was still apparently very poor at this age, and 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 it seems that uh, he came to Stalin to ask for some money, because Stalin had, had been receiving a stipend for a while now. But Stalin refused to give anything to his dad, and told him to just get lost, or he would just call call the guards. There are various reports about Stalin, even though Stalin really loved his mom, and he would later in 1937 uh, give, give her a monument and visit visit her grave. His dad, he never cared about his dad, and uh, yeah, Stalin, Stalin himself remembered at least in 1909 that his dad was still alive, but we can't trust that. Uh, essentially, there are rumors that... Rumors and sources, because everything about this are rumors. There are rumors that uh, after visiting Stalin, uh, his dad just died in a drunken bar fight. Some say it happened in 1910, some say it happened earlier, some say it actually happened, like, later on and Stalin's dad died due to natural causes. I really can't tell, but, uh, yeah, this was the last time Stalin saw his dad alive again. So, after all this happens, in 1898... Stalin decides to basically step in a Georgian social democratic organization, Mesame Dasi, or the Third Group. And there, he and his friends start basically working to turn this organization into a revolution, into a revolutionary, revolutionary kind of core. And they represent the very kind of harsh revolutionary sentiments of all this situation. Uh, Stalin will get thrown out of his school one year later, in the 29th of May, 1899. Uh, but by now, in 1898, this is where it starts. Stalin has read a lot of Marxism, he's become a totally fanatical Bolshevik, and he just goes around telling him, every, everyone he meets, he starts to agitate Marxism to his contemporaries in the seminary. He goes to workers in factories, he becomes obsessed with Marxist philosophy, and decides that this is the exact time when things need to get done. This is the beginning of Stalin's political career in 1898. But about Stalin's throwing out of school, this was um, this wasn't simple as well, because I have only told you the stuff that can be clearly documented well as clearly as possible. But there are some really crazy stories, because uh, there are you know stories of people who escaped or survived the gulags and their experiences. And one such story comes from an inmate of a gulag psychiatric ward uh, from the mid-50s. And there, there is this tale about a completely unknown, seemingly a villain of Russian history, the head of the Tbilisi police, uh, some Colonel Pozlov, who had seemingly been, uh, been the head, uh, head of this uh, police station at the turn of the century. And the story uh, goes like this, quote, It is perfectly clear in retrospect that the corpse of gendarmes was formed with express purpose of bringing about the fall of Imperial Russia, but all its efforts would have been in vain had it not been from, from Colonel Pazlov. It's perfectly clear in retrospect that the corpse of gendarmes was formed with the express purpose of bringing about the fall of Imperial Russia, but all its efforts would have been in vain had it not been for, for Colonel Pozlov. On 28th of November 1894, a group of bandits who had been arrested on the scene of their crime were brought before him. They had tried to rob a government treasury and had used arms. Both sides had taken losses. Colonel Polozov was not a man who went by the book and in order to avoid excessive red tape elected to write off the entire group. As the defenders of the toiling masses would subsequently be known to express themselves. <clears throat> Maharadze, 25 years old, orthodox. Excellent, to be shot next. Kandaliya, 28, Muslim. Muslim, eh? <laughs> Send him to Mahomet. Petrosyan, Georgian, 20. I know that face, let him follow the rest. 
Then they brought in a fourth, an ugly red-haired adolescent, pockmarked and rickety with fidgeting eyes and trembling hands. The, col the colonel observed that he was wearing the uniform of a seminarian. What are you, a seminarian? Name? Jugashvili. Jugashvili? Not Vissarion Ivanovich's son? A pretty picture, I must say. The son of a church elder mixed up with bandits. Is that what they teach you in the seminary? I, I won't do it anymore. Of course you won't. The most you'll try, uh, try and do is rob Judas in hell of his thirty pieces of silver. Uh, Your Excellency, what shall we do with the seminarist? Ah, give the snot-nose a smack in the head and kick him out. Two days later, he was expelled. Well, uh, obviously this is just one version of this story and... Uh, yeah, and obviously there are a lot of mistakes here because uh, Stalin's dad was not a church elder, nor was he kicked out in November, he was kicked out in May. He was kicked out in uh, in May 29th, 1899. Nothing to do with November 24th, 1894. But still, even though this story to a historic eye is false, there was a lot of men, and this, this was circulating throughout the Gulag Empire later in Stalin's era, and there were a lot of men working in these Gulags who would curse Pozlov to no end. Pozlov to no end, stating that, you know, if only you had known and shot Stalin. Well, obviously that couldn't have happened, but uh, such crazy stories are part of all the myths and all the Stalin's culture and his impact on our society that we discussed in the first part. All in all, this, this whole situation, it was, um, was quite interesting, because Seminary definitely, even as he was kicked out, it had left some impact on him. He was a complete and, he was a complete and devoted atheist, he didn't believe in God whatsoever. Uh, he really, really was just against God. He was an anti-theist, I would even state. However, when speaking kind of, you know, with friends or, or just casually, he would frequently appeal to God and use God's name, such as in the joke where, where Stalin says, God bless to the sneezing man. Ah, everything has meaning on this show. But he also he also kind of used to meet meet with church officials later in his life. For for some for some he even like met him personally. On one occasion, uh, he apparently has had invited an, a, a friend from the seminary, uh, a survivor, a rare survivor of the crazy ages, and and he had, at that point had been the head of Georgian Orthodox Church, and you know he had called it to himself. And this guy was very very afraid of of all the situation, and he he actually had to visit Stalin because you just couldn't say no. So Stalin obviously asks this guy later on, whom, whom do you fear more, God or me? And then, then the, the person from the seminary, he's like standing there and he's shaking, he doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> and Stalin just, obser just observes this and laughs and, and just, just cut, cuts, him, cuts him short and says, Ha! It is no, I, I know it's me that you fear more, or else you wouldn't have appeared in secular dress. And it was crazy. I mean... You, you definitely have to say that Seminary did have some impact on Stalin, but um, we'll leave with the, another crazy tale of uh, Stalin finally leaving the Seminary. There is a historian, Arsenidze, uh, who reported, uh, who reported on, on this time and, and with Stalin everything. When Soso was, th and he, he writes, quote, when Soso was threatened with expulsion, he suggested that his comrades in the illegal study group all leave the seminary at the same time to undertake revolutionary propaganda work. Well, kind of makes sense, seeing that he's basically the most radical and active part of his Georgian communist cell. They refused, observing that such a step would, sca would, would scarcely delight their parents. Hearing upon this, Soso denounced all of them to the authorities as his partners in crime. When they were all expelled, he calmly expounded his strategy to them. He had helped them escape the, the reproaches of their parents while opening the way to revolutionary activity for them. The end had been achieved, and so any discussion of the means was simply pointless. <laughs> and yeah, you know, as, as we have learned, and will learn in painful, long, slogging detail, Stalin would, would develop denunciations to an art form, essentially making it the Soviet national sport. Up to a point. Now, of course, this can also be doubted. I doubt, I doubt he really denounced everyone. But yeah, there was a mass of these seminary students who had literally had no choice but to leave seminary with Stalin and become full-time revolutionaries. And this is where we end this episode.
we're taking baby steps here. Because everywhere, everything, when it comes to Stalin, is shrouded in mystery, uncertainty, and you have to dig through the facts that Stalin has changed about his life, what other people said, and you have to make a mishmash and comparison of everything, really. And it's gonna be a hard, long journey. I bet it's gonna take me most of the year. But there'll be specials in between as well, when I'll get tired of speaking about mass murderers once more. At any rate... I hope you enjoyed this episode, and do свидания, товарищи. Thank you for listening to the Eastern Border. If you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know, you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site, theeasternborder.lv, and we'll rummage even to the Western Border to find you an answer. Like this podcast? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our kolkhoz in the great motherland. The eastern border salutes you. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org for more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.